We're continuing where we left off. Uh, it is May 24th, 2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Go right ahead. Okay, here is the thought of the week. Where does God live? God is at home in the dwellings he has built in the Lord. In the same way we think of building a home and adorning it with all the things we feel complement and our personalities and taste, God built a habitation which suits him in every way. God is at home in Christ. For God to accomplish his eternal purpose, he needs Christ. In Christ, the dwelling he prepared is being made ready. While we are not at home with God yet, it certainly is our destiny, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 8. To live with God on the inside is what is planned for us. God has revealed himself as far as his nature in the Old Testament, but since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made from Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And also, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, from Psalm 19.1. While all of this, as well as the Mosaic law, was known of God, it does not compare with the revelation of his person, which is said to be the deep things of God. It is also said to be the meat as opposed to milk. This information was kept hidden in God and revealed only to those whom it pertained at the proper time. He revealed it to those whom He revealed it to those who He chose in Him before the world began. Ephesians 1 verse 4. What we find is the revelation of His eternal purpose and the intention of His heart. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. This is where God lives, within the dwelling he created in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, in Colossians 2, 9. This is where the invisible God finds full expression. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 through 14. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer a simple commentary on that. And I noticed the phrase, milk to meat. We can thrive on milk as newborn infants in Christ, but we are to grow up in our salvation. There is a mystery God has revealed to those he has chosen to be saved in the church age. We cannot thrive on milk forever, or even for long. We must move on. Think of this life in Christ as a two-step process, which mirrors God's desire that all be saved, and all come to the knowledge of the truth, from 1 Timothy 2.4. Have you begun with step one and put your trust in Christ? 
Are you ready for step two? Either way, go to his word to learn the truth. And that is my commentary. And now we'll have Greg give us the prayer. Thank you, Dwight. At this time, uh, I want to know if there's any prayer requests out there. People in the need of prayer. Yes, pray for Word is Truth Christian Church. Okay. Alrighty. Um, let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity of fellowship on this fine morning in May. Lord, thanking you, Lord, for your marvelous blessings that you have provided for our individual families. With thankfulness, Lord, I'm thankful for every family that's mentioned here that you have kept us through this pandemic and kept us all safe. No one has died or kept us from this pandemic and kept us, Lord. And we know as we go forward that your will will be done. Asking, Lord, that we continue that you would continue to watch over and keep us, Lord, in the word of truth. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for our, the word of truth, who we have a, a vehicle, a, a place where we can come and hear the truth that's through the Spirit of God and have an opportunity to grow up in Christ. Thankful, Lord, that we're asking that you will continue to bless the pastor, that he will continue to bring the word of truth and continue, Lord, to bless and keep that all the members might continue, Lord, in this path of renewing their minds. Asking, Lord, that you continually watch over the world as we are continually dealing with this pandemic, especially asking for prayer for Brazil and Russia who are hotspots and people are dying, asking the Lord that you reach out and touch these places. And might your will be done, Lord. Minimize the death and the destruction of those people. Asking the Lord that you would continually watch over and keep us. Asking prayer for my family and all the families represented here, that you would continually watch over and keep them. These blessings I'm asking in Christ's loving name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fred and Dwight. We do appreciate that. Uh, at this point, we're going to move right into where we were last time. We're going to get right to it. It's uh, and Hopefully, you all have notes and you have them before you. We are looking at John 14, 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father... You are in me, and I am in you. The events on, on that day would change everything we ever knew about God. This event was momentous, as it is described in the early chapters of the book of Acts. As the church age was born, and we, were finally, and we finally began to examine and investigate just what happened, and we, what we find is absolutely astounding. Theologically speaking, we learn more about God here than we did from creation. Here, 
we learn what God was thinking when he created all things. It happened on that day. All of this was reduced to a day, a 24-hour time period. For those fragile, whimsical disciples who endured by faith and dared to trust in the words of the Lord, their eyes were opened on that day. He took that small group of puzzled, emotional, disappointed, and fearful disciples and made them a part of the foundation of the church, quote, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, unquote. On that day, they were transformed from an earthly people to a heavenly people in Christ. There was no doubt they were changed, bolder, more believing and trusting, and more fervent to fulfill their new destiny. I can only imagine their faces as the spirit of truth began to reveal what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. So, the things God prepared for those who love him. I can certainly say that I am just as excited and ready to hear the manifold wisdom of God some 2,000 years later. Are you ready? So we began with this verse. This is a momentous verse, which kind of culminates from a lot of conversation Jesus had with the disciples, so that we now can see where he was going with this. It's interesting when we have a conversation and we hear a lot of talk about different things and and all of a sudden all these extraneous details are brought into focus and now we can understand what they were all about. John 14:20 is one of those passages that brings together a whole lot of conversation that Jesus had, questions that he asked of them, things that he said that puzzled them. And now they are able to see uh, from Jesus what he's talking about. On that day, you will know, you will realize. And so we've gone through this verse, and we're going to get right to it. So much we could say about this. We should just have some time to talk about this all by itself. Just continue to develop it. So we, we already went through the phrases, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. So we were all the way down to this part, the point C and D. I think we talked about C last time, but I'll just say mutual possession, C, to what end? So in other words, why would God give us this mutual possession? What does it accomplish for us? And one thing was knowing the Father's eternal purposes. So one, one thing, and I've taught it this way. Uh, maybe we are going to discover who the Father is in terms of his personality in eternal uh, times, uh, in the eternal state, as we get to that place where the plan is over. Human history is done. And now we have the opportunity to discover and to learn and to fellowship with the persons of God. We will have opportunity to know what they are like. And right now, what we are learning from them is the first thing that they want to tell us. Like if 
if someone came to you and you were bursting with excitement about something that was so important, so then that will be the first thing you tell them. What is the first thing the Father tells us? His plan. That's what we need to be made aware of. That's what we need to have in the forefront of our mind as we are on the battlefield. That's the important part. Now there is the love and all that which helps us identify with the Father, see what motivates Him and, and why He did what He did. So there's that part of it when we talk about mutual possession. It allows us to see eye to eye with the Father's eternal purposes. We covered a lot of the scriptures that have to do with that. And the second thought was it gives us eternal fellowship with the persons of God. And that is uh, also, we, we went over that last week, which is m most important to understanding our eternal destiny. What, what's it all about for us? And this is, this is it right here. This is the depth of it. Is there more to explore? Absolutely. Let's explore the depths. Let's talk about the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. And to note, wisdom is what we do with the knowledge. Knowledge is gaining information, the doctrines, right? The, the thinking of God, right? Uh, wisdom, we are allowed to enter into the facts with what do we think about those facts? What decisions should we make? How should we uh, comport ourselves because of the facts that we have? All of that is wisdom. And that's the conversation that we should be having as a church. Dealing with the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So that is our objective and we talk about that. And then, so, so that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Christ taught that. He says, at Pentecost, we'll know what that means. At Pentecost, we'll understand. We'll get it. It will resonate now with us what it means that Christ was in the Father and we are in, and, and, and the Father was in Christ. That's what he wants us to know. What is the best way for us to understand that? How will we know? Because the same thing that was happening in Christ will also happen in us. That same dynamic relationship that he had with the Father, that he was displaying to the disciples, will happen in us. So it, The Father will be there, but it will be Christ who will take the lead. And he will be Lord in our lives. So... So we get to this place now, we're point number four, and you are in me. So to, to read the whole verse, on that day you will realize, you will know, that I am in the Father, and that you are in me. Point number four, the same relationship Jesus has with the Father will be extended to the disciples. Mutual possession is destined for the disciples and us. I say, and us by way of extension, because we read John 20 and 21. And I'm not going to go over that again. Hopefully you understand that Jesus is talking to you right now. Uh, squarely. I mean, we could read about 
at Mount Sinai and Moses went up to the mountain and he got the commandments and he came down and all the people were there. Uh, that's not directly to you. It's for you to understand, but it's not directly to you. This squarely aimed at you. This is about you. Hopefully you get that. This is the relation. Moses didn't have this. You have this. Mutual possession is part of who we are in Christ now. The sharing of ourselves with one another. So, understand that it will be extended to us. And what a, what a way to show us by demonstrating it in us. This is what's going to happen. We're going to know because it's, it's going to be the relationship we have. Let's move on. Further, Jesus explains his relationship with the Father by telling them that they would know or realize when the Spirit comes, and that would be Pentecost. So, understand one thing. So, we could talk about concepts, and I could say, hey, can you understand this, and, and do you realize what I'm saying? And you can't get with that. You just can't have a frame of reference to understand that. You, there is no frame of reference. There's no theological frame of reference. There's no imaginative frame of reference for it. There's no place to put a statement like what we are dealing with here. So Jesus is saying to them, the only way you're going to know this is to experience it yourself. And that would happen at Pentecost. And Jesus is well aware of how this works and the capacity that the disciples had. So he would say things like, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, that you can now handle. You don't have the capacity for it. I get that, but you're just going to have to trust me. Believe the, the words I say to you, tr trust in them. Obey what I'm telling you to tell, when, when I'm telling you this. And this is part of the relationship that Jesus had with those early disciples. Right? They would know for themselves. So point C, you are in me, that is, we are in Christ. The mechanics, how did that happen for us? What made the difference at Pentecost? The baptism of the Spirit. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 13, uh, where he says, by one Spirit, I will read it. Why don't I read that? This is an important verse, by the way. And, you know, we, we don't have to have a hundred verses to teach us the same thing. We just need one. One verse that helps and helps us understand and explains what is meant. Here, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we could start at 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Well, it's just an analogy. But let me tell you what it's like in Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now you know what is interesting? As you read Acts, you don't find that they understood all of this, but this is what the spirit was trying to enlighten them to. This is the reality now. And this is the truth. But it took time for the church to develop 
and to grow into this truth because they were coming from Israel and the mindset of Israel. Gentiles were coming from the mindset of, it, of what it was to be a Gentile. So 12.13 is key. It unites. The, it talks about we were all baptized. That's Pentecost. That's what he's saying. That's what happened as a result of Pentecost. And what is, what is the result of the baptism of the Spirit? That uh, we were in the we were baptized. <coughs> excuse me, we were baptized into one body, and that body is with the body of Christ, as we know. That's the context. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we're Jews, Greeks. Greeks are representative here of Gentiles, slave or free. Doesn't matter what your designation is there, whether you were a slave or a free person. Uh, those were designations in the early. First century, in the first century, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Well, I can tell you, they mattered much in those for in the first century. It was the order of the day as to whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were a slave or a free person. But to God who baptized you or placed you, identified you into the body of Christ, it does not matter. Those distinctions fall to the ground. So that's what we need to make sure we understand as we look at this part where it says, and you are in me. How do we get to be in Christ? If this could be a test question. How did you get to be in Christ? I would expect everybody be able to know 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is the way we get to be in it. We were baptized into the body of Christ. And it didn't say after you prayed and tarried and got the second blessing and spoke in tongues. Nope. All of us. This happens to every person who believes in Lord Jesus Christ in this age. They are baptized into the body of Christ. It's automatic. You don't have to seek it. You, you don't, it automatically happens to every single person who is uh, saved. <clears throat> so, this part, and you and me. And then there's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which we spent a lot of time uh, developing. I'll just turn to it. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how do we get in Christ? The baptism, right? He is a new creation. This is just some further information about what it means to be in Christ. You are in me, Christ is saying. This is our verse in John 14, 20, that I am in the Father, and you are in me. This is, these are things that, what of results it means to be in Christ. So you, these are important verses for you, because you need this information. This is who you are. Anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone. What is the old? Those distinctions we talked about with Adam. Jews and Gentiles. All those distinctions that meant the world in Adam. What's your station in life in Adam? None of that matters in Christ. It's all gone. The new is here. What's the new? In Christ. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. These are results. You can't have the ministry of reconciliation that he's talking about here unless you're in Christ. That's what he's talking about. Right? We are ambassadors for the new creation. So you have to be in Christ, part of the new creation, in order to, to have this verse be relevant to you. So let's keep going. Much more to say about that. So that's important to note. And, and point four, and you are in me, D, we are in the glorified Christ. And this is when we say we're in Christ. Who is Christ? Where is he? Is it just some theological book on the shelf that we can read about him? Christ is living. He's alive. And the scripture I have there is, second, is Ephesians. Uh, you Surely we, we've been here before. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Just to know, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So what are we talking about here? The all-important baptism of the Spirit. This is These are results of the baptism of the Spirit, how he placed you in Christ. That's why you had to wait till Pentecost when it was available for the disciples. And then we, by extension, received the baptism of the Spirit at salvation. The disciples were already saved. There are some examples of that happening in uh, for Pentecost, but after that generation, then people received the baptism of the Spirit upon their salvation. So let's keep going. <clears throat> so seven, in order that in the, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The riches of his grace. See, that's, that's something if you ever take, took some time to explore. Uh, there was, there's a uh, passage in Ephesians chapter 1, if you look at uh, verse 17 and 18. I'm going to turn to it. Let's go Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that, so that you, may, you will know him better. Uh, this is what the spirit of wisdom and revelation will do for you. I pray, verse 18 I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now get this, uh, that this spirit of wisdom revelation that you may know him better will lead you to this enlightenment where you will know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Hope means absolute confidence. It's not, I hope I, I'm this, I hope I'm that. No, it's, I'm sure that this is the truth for me. It's like Abraham had this kind of hope when he got through all the, the vicissitudes of trying to please God. He says, okay, God, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to recognize that you have the authority now to do what you want to do. And he says, against circumstances, in hope, against hope, he believed in hope that he was going to have a son. He knew it. In fact, he just started everything 
looking toward the future from the standpoint of hope. I just understand it that way. And this is what God is saying. I have definitely prepared this for you. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened or that you may know this. It's not that you may develop the hope, that you may know that it exists to which he has called you. This is the truth about us. But then he says here, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches refer to God enriching you with himself. The riches that accrue to you based on your uh, being in Christ. That's what those riches are. So when you think about the relationships that we have, uh, back to Ephesians 3, we also read about these riches in another place. That's where I'm headed, to Ephesians 3, where he says, he says, um, verse, I became a servant. Okay, here, verse 8, although I am less than least of God's people, this grace was given the priest of the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, these riches are God himself. That's his divine self, his, the, the divine persons enriching your soul. That's what we have now through the relationship that is in Christ. And there's a lot that could be said. I, I should be taking you to Colossians and developing more, but I, I won't at this point. I'll, I'll just continue to think about what we've been talking about. So then there's Romans 6, 4 in our notes. Romans 6, 4, I keep digressing. Uh, let's see. So you know this verse. We therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the life that we're living is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, right? We, in heavenly places, right? This is where he is. So if we're in him, we're not talking about some concept of being in Christ. We're talking about a living person, a real person. You're talking about Christ where he said in the Gospels, right? John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And, and, and he talks about when the spirit of truth comes, and in our verse, prior to this, he tells us that because I live, you also will live. So the life we have is tied to the person of Christ. We are indelibly united to the person of Christ. So much so that just as he is, so are we. What is true of him is true of us. If he is the image of the invisible God, we are the image of the invisible God. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We're part of who he is. Who Christ is, as far as the Father has destined from eternity past, is us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we are Christ. We are who he is. We complete him. Just like the woman completes the man. So when Christ, when, when the Father said, it's not good for man to be alone, he put him to sleep and he brought forth the woman. And when the woman was there, what did Adam say? He says, this is 
bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is prior to him looking around at all the animal creation and seeing that there was none that corresponded to him. And he said, well, what, what about me? And, and God put him to sleep and he brought forth that woman, bone of his bone, flesh. He took a rib from Adam, flesh of his flesh. She should be called woman. She was taken out of the man. That, the bonding of that. And now that we understand, it is revealed to us that that is how we are bound to Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are metaphors for us to understand that relationship. So I'm hoping you get that part as you, you, you think about how you are in him. And now when it talks about we can walk and live in a new way of life. It's the resurrection life that we're to live. But it is not I on this earth who live, but it is Christ who is living in me. That's, and I am in you. We didn't get to that part yet. But the part where you are in me is the resurrection life. What do you have to worry about? The resurrection life is Christ's life. Even though we haven't received our particular bodies of resurrection, we will get them in due time. All of that is to come for sure. Those The riches of the divine persons themselves are in us, that we might know the hope of our, his calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That's Ephesians 1.18 and again, and 19. So I'm hoping as you are watching this and and seeing how God is developing and enlightening you your mind and to think in these terms that you will be conversant in being able to understand how God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ these things will flow for you so this is how God or you are in him. Where is he? He's in heavenly realms. He's in heaven right now. But you positionally are in him. We just talked about all of that. How you're his body. What's true of you is true of him. This is the way God sees it already. Now you, you could easily say, no, 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 I'm here. And it doesn't, I, I don't feel like I'm still in him. But that's because your mind is not transformed. But once you are transformed into his image, you will begin to experience his life. The resurrection life. It takes, it's a progression of, for us because we are slowly cleansing ourselves from uh, what was old to what is new. So for us, it is not that God just threw away the entire water when it comes to our mind. He did it positionally. He took us out of Adam and he put us in Christ. Positionally, we're in Christ no matter what. We're not in Adam. That's the story of Romans 6 and 7. Right? That's true of us. We're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ. But for our minds, they're still steeped in what Adam's thoughts were. The, the death of Adam 
the stench of Adam is still in our thoughts. So how did God rid us from the thoughts of Adam? Did he take Adam's thoughts away from us? No, he didn't do that. It is almost like if you see a glass of poison and the poison has a red color to the glass, so it looks like Kool-Aid or something. And But God began to pour clean water into that glass. The glass, just because of the capacity, it just overflowed. Right? So, but what happens if you keep pouring clean water into that glass? Eventually, more of the clean water displaces the red poison water. So if you keep pouring, keep what, what can cleanse it? What can make it more? First, it's, it's mauve and it's pink and it's, you know, it's not red anymore. But you keep pouring the, the clean water in and eventually it, it just makes the, the, the water even cleaner and cleaner. That's your mind. And that is being filled with the full knowledge of the truth. It is not a place where God just takes away the old and puts in the full knowledge of the truth. That doesn't happen that way. I know, I know some Christian groups expect that, that that's the way it should happen. Right? The moment you're saved, you, you ought to do these things because you're saved. They say things like that. You're, oh, you're saved? Then these are the things you ought to be doing. Uh, they're trying to tell you already how you should live. When that's... a that's a result of God pouring in the clean water. So then from that you determine how you live. Not from them telling you what God is pleased with. So that analogy would have worked. Now he allows that you are the one who controls the clean water being poured in. You control it. If you don't t- take in the word, if you don't avail yourself of of what God's plan is, the, the full knowledge of the truth, right? the epinosis knowledge of the truth, then you will not understand the things. Uh, the water will continue to be red and pink or mauve, whatever it is. It will continue. Now, it doesn't mean that you're ever going to get to the place where there's nothing but pure, clean water. I mean, if you did te- test them under a microscope, I'm sure you'd be able to find some traces of the old. But when we get our resurrection bodies, all of that will be over. Sin nature will not have access to tempt us or to influence us in any way. No Adam, none of his thinking will influence us at all. So we have the opportunity to keep allowing the waters of God to flush out the the evil thinking. We should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, says Romans 12. So this is important for us in Christ because the quality of who we are in Christ, the quality of our relationship and our fellowship is dependent on this part right here, us being in Christ. Why am I talking about renewing your mind? Because that's how you come to know it. That's how you come to realize that you're in Christ. Because you don't set your mind on 
things below, but on things above. The life you live is the resurrection life. We've just been talking about that. All of that is what it means for you and you are in me. This is what Christ said. I'm alive. The life I live, I've died, been buried, resurrected, and ascended into the heavens. And now I am seated at the right hand of the Father. The place of highest honor. What does that look like? In Ephesians chapter 1, right after we read the mystery passage, which was 18, it says, And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power, listen to a new analogy, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things, all things, under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are above all rule and authority and uh, power and dominion and uh, any title and even in the present age and in any future age. So this is what it is like to be in him. And not just be in him positionally, but be able to begin to experience the life of what it means to be in Christ. It's not just a positional thing. As we renew our minds and come to the fullness of Him, right? it is an experiential thing as well. And I am in you and you are in me. Right? Those things are not just positional. That's something you can realize. We'll talk more about it as we go on, right? But let's move on. What time is it? We got time to look at this next point, and I am in you. That's point number five. Let's look at it. Am I in you? Christ is alive in us. I wanted to go to Galatians because this is a pretty good where Paul deals with this. Galatians chapter two, and verse twenty. So he says. Now, we ought to read 19, but I tell you, there's just so much in here that uh, it just makes you want to keep digressing. So I'll, I'll read 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. How did he die to the law? What did Paul do? Did he actually physically die to the law? Nope. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How did Paul die? How could he die to the law? Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he died with Christ. And that, in Paul's mind, is understood as dying to the law. Now, of course, he was using that in a context because Peter was acting a little fishy when 
the Jews came and he was sitting with the Gentiles and he felt a little embarrassed. And Paul realized that, Peter, you're trying to keep the law. That's hypocrisy. You died to the law through the baptism of the Spirit. And notice, so that I might live for God. Huh. Interesting. There's something to, to be developed there as well. But to our verse, 220. I have been crucified with Christ. There it is. He, that's where he died. And I, as a result, I no longer live. I'm not, as far as the life that I had uh, as a Jew, I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer alive. I died. That life is over. But Christ lives in me. This is Paul telling you what's going on on the inside. This is always rewarding for us to, to look at information such as this. It helps us not only to hear what a person says on the outside, but what's going on on the inside. What's the motivation that they have? That helps. That's infectious. Because their motivation will infect us. And then we will have the proper motivation. So Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. It's still, he's not dead in the sense that cessation of life. He just doesn't, you know, his body just slumps to the ground. He's still in it. Except the life he has is dead prior to this. So now the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this faith in the Son of God is the mind of Christ. Right? I live by faith in the Son of God. Well, well, it's Christ living in him. That's what it is. That's what he says. But Christ lives in me. So what is faith? Faith is representative here. Is trust in the mind of Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. So even though Paul wasn't dealing with a deeper thing. He touched on a deeper thing to teach something simple, which was the baptism of the Spirit and the results of it. So, and then there's Colossians 1, 26 and 27, which deals with the motivation. Let's go to Colossians. Colossians 1. And 26 and 27. 26 talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. This, I don't know why this isn't such a big deal in the church as it should be, but it's not given enough attention. This is the new way of life for us. And if we are focused otherwise, we are off the beaten path of where God would have us. To them, verse 27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this, we already talked about two things now, right? There's, and, I, and you are in me and I am in you. So when Christ was here, he talked about the Father was in him and he was in the Father, right? Understand the dynamic relationship. He's saying that after Pentecost, you, 
you will be in me and I will be in you. So this relationship now will yield some results. And when you look at this verse, it's a classic verse of the mystery. Colossians 1.27. What is the mystery? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now remember, don't just confuse the two. Don't just lump it all together like some, some people do with uh, the ministries of the Spirit. There's, oh, the Spirit works in mysterious ways. No, it's defined ways. He tells you what the ceiling is, what the in uh, baptism is, what the indwelling is, what the filling is. What, all of those things are known and, and described in detail. So in the same way, we wouldn't want to confuse the two things here, that and you are in me is the same thing as, as I am in you. It is not. I am in him and he is in me. So we're describing each of those results here. So 127, you have the classic verse, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Didn't we just read that? And it says that, that you may know this hope in Ephesians, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. Glorious riches of his inheritance. Well, here it is in Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, we had no hope of glory prior to us being in Christ and Christ being in us. The glorious person is Christ. But he is also the gateway into the Father's eternal purpose. Without Christ, none of this could be possible. So that's why it says in Romans, um, Romans 8, if we look at this verse, it says, um, here it is, verse 27 or 28. God works for the good of those who call according to his purpose. 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, and here it is, to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this conformed to the likeness of his son, how is that? Like, what is that? Described the baptism of the Spirit. Now be careful. The baptism of the Spirit is not going to be the answer to all my questions. But in this question, it is again, what is this? How do you get to be conformed? How are you going? How did God foreknow you and predestine you to be conformed into the likeness of his son? He did it through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it through a gradual process of you renewing your mind. Remember, we're only renewing our mind to what we what is already done, what God already did for us. We're coming to the full knowledge of it. doesn't mean it's happening as we understand it. It happened through the baptism of God, the Holy Spirit. He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. There's the glorified part that we've been talking about in our verse. What does it mean and I am in you, it means glory. This, this is the glory of the sun. And we have the glory of the sun from a couple different aspects. One, he gained the victory. He 
is the one who was able to fulfill the Father's eternal purpose. And I could go on with the glory. Maybe this is a part where I haven't developed. I hopefully, hopefully I have developed this. If not, it could be done through Q&A. Just ask. Right? Point B. The emphasis now is Christ in you. Philippians 1, 20 through 23. Let's look at it. 20, it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yeah. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. A desire to be with Christ, which is far better. That's what he means by gain. It means to be with Christ, which is far better. But to live, right? For me to live is Christ. Right? So this is what it means if Christ is in you. The body is dead, right? When you died, you no longer have the right to live your life on this earth anymore. Christ has the right to live his life in you. He owns you. Now, of course, our volition is the only gatekeeper here. If we don't avail ourselves of God's prerogative, right, the opportunity to express our will, to live our lives according to his will, then we can short-circuit some of this. Now, it doesn't mean that positionally we won't eventually be what God created us to be, that he, we are conformed to the image of the Son. But the blessings that uh, about knowing the quality of life, of our living, will be affected. And obviously, eternal rewards. So, our emphasis now is Christ in you. That is the Christian way of life. Because I live, you also will live. That's what Christ said. His life is what animates your body right now on the earth. Now, to the extent that you allow him to do it is where you are <coughs> grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. We have some say in this. God gives us opportunity to make our uh, choices known. There will be a judgment to determine what we did while in the body, whether good or bad. It's pretty clear. Point C. Although it is accomplished by our minds being transformed by the Spirit with the mind of Christ. right? This, and I am in you part. Nobody will see Christ in you. There is no glow that happens. You know, I, I don't know what people used to call this. That not the heavenly glow or the divine glow or something. Like, people would look at you and say, something's different about you. I can tell. Listen, the mind of Christ is not something that you can tell. Uh, if you don't have it, you don't have it, and you won't be able to act accordingly. You have to be transformed by the Spirit 
to experience the mind of Christ. It doesn't. I already read Romans eight twenty nine and thirty in this regard. So I'm reading uh, twelve one through three, Romans. Right. So twelve. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices and holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what you do. You can offer your bodies. Right? We already know God owns our bodies, but we just said that we have a say here. We're the gatekeepers. We're dead. Right? The body, we died with Christ. Paul says, I died to the law. I'm crucified with Christ. That's true. But you still have a say as to whether or not you will grow up in him. Whether or not you will allow your mind to be transformed into his image. If you do, there'll be great rewards for that. So here he says, this is what you ought to do while you're here. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, Christ didn't just get in you and just tell you, start elbowing you and telling you to move aside. Get out of the way. Pushing you out of the way. This is what we call synergy. Where his will, your will, put together, achieves something for God. Right? And that he is pleased with. So you are to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what you can do. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? This is old news, old hat, which is something that should be discarded. Uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and we're not talking about renewing your mind with Old Testament law, you know, uh, the golden rule and all this morality stuff. We're talking about renewing your mind with the, the mystery doctrines, right? The epistles that are written to us, saturating and immersing yourself in that. Who That's the heavenly language that we're talking about. That's setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's what we're, the transformation is. It's not just practicing being good, right? trying to stay away from sin. All those things will not accomplish having your mind transformed by the renewing here. Then, only then, will you be able, this is verse 2, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's when you'll be able to test and, and, un and approve and know what is God's will by doing it. Put, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. A measure of faith means everybody has been given the measure of faith. That's the body of truth that we are to believe. That's what you got to be transformed into. So, getting back to my notes here. So we already read a couple, there's more verses, and I'm seeing our time is getting away from us here. So, 
I don't want to continue. We'll finish this next week, and we'll probably start on verse 21, which is, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, them and show myself to them. We'll talk about that as well. Finish out this. We'll begin with John 14, 21. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We appreciate the, hopefully, the, the scriptures presented that I said something here that will resonate and help people understand the process of renewing our minds and coming to the knowledge of the truth of who we are in Christ. So we pray that our purpose will match your purpose for us in this life. That we will have that synergy where we will uh, not only hear and understand your will, but that we will seek to do your will, just as Christ did when he was here on the battlefield. We pray for this church, especially, as we are on the edge of a lot of these things, and we pray that we will not only uh, surmount these things, but that we will overtake them and continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. May the grace of God surround you. May his light direct your path. May his spirit lead and guide you as the weeks and months go past. May your soul be blessed and may your joy be full of the love that hears thy praise as you obey his call remember most of your child of the king may the peace of the Lord all right guys go with you the peace of the Lord.